Welcome back to Hopeful Harvest Acres. This is Abby. On today's episode, we are on week four of our Excellent Wife series titled A Wife's Understanding of Relationships and God's Pattern. If you would, grab your Bibles, a cup of coffee, and let's jump right in. Welcome back, everybody. So glad that you're joining me as always. I'm recording this this morning, the day before it's going to be coming out. I've had intentions of wanting to get this done before this very moment, but isn't that life in general? Sometimes we make plans and, well, our plans fall through or God sends us in a different direction. So as I'm recording this, I'm looking outside. There's a beautiful rainfall coming down. It's just a very peaceful day to be spent inside. Three of my kiddos are off at school. It's grandparents' day. What a blessing to send our children to a small school where our son who's in preschool and our daughter who is in seventh grade, they all get to come together. They're putting on a program where they're going to be singing songs and doing different little skits for the grandparents. So my mom is coming today and then my husband's mom is also coming and they were just really looking forward to spending time with the kids, seeing their classrooms. I know they were going to have donuts and coffee and juice for them all to enjoy today and it's a half a day. So then a couple of my kiddos are going to go get coats with one grandma and then another kiddo is going to look for some wedding shoes for my sister's wedding that's coming up the end of this month. So it's just something that I know they were excited for and I was excited for them. So I'm home with our little one today and he is occupied watching PBS Kids for a little bit while I record this episode. But let's jump into chapter four as we look at a wife's understanding of relationships. I'm so grateful for this book that I'm going through by Martha Peace, because we have relationships all around us. And while we are focusing on relationships between a man and a woman, male and female, husband and wife, because we are women who are wanting to see what God has to say about us as his children, as women created in his image, as females, and what he wants us to be doing while we're living here on the earth. But at the same time, we have so many other relationships. We have relationships with our children. We have relationships with our parents. We have relationships with our siblings, with the families that we were born into here on this earth. Very importantly, we have relationships with the body of Christ, with our fellow believers that we congregate with, on Sundays and throughout the week at our life groups as we strengthen each other, as we talk about the sermons, we talk about things that we're walking through and how we see God working through these situations. Relationships affect us when we're at work and we have bosses or the people that we're taking care of. These are all different relationships. And what we're going to look at is we're going to look at God's pattern of relationships and how the characteristics of fallen man have caused our relationships on earth to be messy because of the sin 
that still dwells inside of us. But the good news is that we have a model of what relationships should look like. And that model is the Trinity of God, which is comprised of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are three unique individuals and yet one in unity. And we're going to focus on that today. And I'm so excited. Not only am I utilizing the excellent wife book, but this week I've also been reading and working out of three other books. I've been looking at a book titled This Momentary Marriage by John Piper. Our church, Christ Church in Effingham, has a wonderful library where people that are attending there, people that are just passing through, you can check out a book, write your name down, take it home, return the book. I think I have a couple books that I've been holding on to for six months or longer that I need to return now that I'm thinking about it. But this book is talking about marriage. And I'm really excited to share some pieces out of this with you guys. I'm also still working out of Live Your Truth and Other Lies by Elisa. I think I've been mispronouncing her name wrong. Elisa Childers. And then a third book is titled Building the Christian Family You Never Had by Mary DeMouth. But first, we're going to look at the fact that the members of the triune God are living examples to us of a perfect relationship. And so we can look at scripture to see what the wife needs to know about godly patterns of relationships that we should be following. And what Martha highlights at the beginning of her book is that she's always having people come to her. She is a biblical counselor and they are coming to her with concerns that they have about a specific relationship that they may have with a specific individual, whether it be with one's mother, one's brother, their child, their friend, their pastor, coworker, their husband, whoever it may be. And so what Martha does, like any Christian should do, is that we point fellow believers to the word of God. And as we look at the word of God, we're going to have examples of what relationships should look like. And those relationships are found as we evaluate the Trinity. So it reads here in Martha's book, God designed relationships. He walked with Adam in the cool of the day. He took Enoch to be with him. He bestowed on Noah his favor. He ate with, talked with, and made a covenant with Abraham. He comforted Hagar in the desert and gave her hope. He providentially brought Joseph to Egypt and prepared him for a future day. He even let Moses see his glory in a roundabout way. He made David a king and gave him a whole heart for God, and he provided the means for sinful man to be reconciled to a right relationship with him through the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Last night when we gathered for our life group, we were discussing the sermon that was preached on last week, and we're continuing on in a series talking about the Holy Spirit. And Jeff, one of our pastors, he highlighted that the Spirit is represented by the dove, seeing that the dove shows up different times in the Bible, specifically after the flood has passed, God would send out a dove and the dove would come back with an olive branch in its 
beak. We also see the dove as Jesus is being baptized in the Jordan River, and God would have a dove descend upon him as he says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And so a dove is signifying to us peace. God is peace, and we discussed what peace means and looks like from a scriptural perspective compared to maybe how the world tries to have us understand what peace is. Peace isn't always going to be a feeling, definitely not an emotion, but rather it's the knowledge of God and what he has accomplished through his son, Jesus Christ. I love the verse in the book of Philippians where it says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will fill your hearts and minds with joy. So peace is not merely a feeling, but rather it is knowledge based on what Jesus has accomplished. We went on to read some passages in the book of John 14, 15, and 16. And then specifically, one of the gals in our group, she read a passage from John chapter 17, which Martha also quotes in her book. So I'm going to read that here. And it reads, starting in verse 20, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I and them, you and me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. There's also a beautiful verse in chapter 17 that says, sanctify them in the truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Remember last week how we talked about the process of progressive sanctification? This is the process of becoming like Jesus Christ as we put to death the deeds of the flesh and we walk by the power of the Spirit. This is not something that we do in and of ourselves. Remember, we're not saved by that which we do, but rather what God has done. And so we do this by the power of God's grace, by God's great grace working in and through us as we submit to his will. This means that we obey what God's telling us to do. And so as we look at the relationships that humans have amongst other humans, they're going to be broken when we choose to submit to our own wills rather than God's. This creates messy relationships. And even if we are submitting to the will of God, relationships can still be messy 
But as believers, if we're doing what God is calling us to do, we will have peace. This is guaranteed. And so when it says, sanctify them in the truth, sanctification is the process of becoming like Jesus. So we become like Jesus as we embrace the truth of God's word. We have to embrace it though, friends. We must embrace it. And so continuing on, it says Jesus prayed that believers would have perfect and complete unity in their relationships with each other. Unity is a key word that we are focusing on in this chapter. And if you walk away with anything today, it is to meditate upon the word unity, not from a worldly perspective, but from the perspective of God's word. And we have no better example than to look at the Holy Trinity in that when Jesus came to the earth in the form of flesh, he was fully God, and yet he was fully man. He was sent on a mission to take on the sin of the entire world, to bring reconciliation between fallen man and a holy God. And so even though he was fully God, he made himself subjected to God the Father, as does the Holy Spirit, who is also fully God. He chooses to submit himself to the will of the Father, not because they are not equal in power and strength and glory, but because It is setting up for us a picture of how we, as human beings, are to be living while we're on the earth. You see, the unity God intends for people to have in relationships, it's possible only through Jesus. And so only in Christ can a relationship of a husband and wife be godly, good, and righteously intimate. When we listen to counselors that are talking to married couples about marriage, if they are not looking at it from a biblical perspective for what a marriage should look like based on the relationship of the Trinity, well then the relationship cannot truly be godly and it truly cannot be good And it truly cannot be righteously intimate. It may appear as that from the outside world, but I'm just thinking in some way, let's say I love listening to Mike Winger. He has a YouTube channel titled Bible Thinker, and I've listened to so many of his episodes talking about biblical submission and the role of women in the church. He has over 10 hours worth of recordings. I think I've listened to all of them in the last six weeks, and I'm grateful for his ministry because it has been so useful to me. But something that he said when we're talking about biblical submission and a woman submitting herself to her husband again, I could go on and on about how that is misquoted, 
misunderstood by the unbelieving world, even within the realm of the church and believers. There are certain people that they look at that and they cringe when they hear that. It's actually a beautiful picture because it's what Jesus did when he submitted to the will of the Father. But he said that in one way or another, someone at the end of the day is making the final decision. So if you are a woman in a relationship married to a man, one of you is making the final call. So the right way to go about making decisions would be to go to the word of God and see what God has to say about it. Now, if a husband is asking a woman to do something that is sinful, she obviously must speak up and decline to submit to what he's asking her to do in a loving way. But if what the husband is asking a woman to do is not sinful and the two of them cannot come to an agreement, let's say you're wanting to make a decision about where to send your children to school. Maybe one of you wants to homeschool your kids and the other one wants to send the kids off to public school. And so you compromise by saying, let's send them to a private school where they're, it's going to be a Christian-based school. Maybe you as the wife, you still have a strong desire to homeschool your kids. Your husband would have been fine sending them to public school because it's free and why spend all that money? But at the end of the day, someone had to make that final decision. Whether it was you or your husband, one of you made that final call. Mike talks about this. And he says, at the end of the day, if you are in a Christian relationship, abiding in God's word, it should be the husband that makes the final call, as long as it's not asking you to sin in any way. And in this specific situation, where you're talking about your children's education, a husband would not be asking his wife to sin by sending his children off to a Christian school. Perhaps you really have a strong desire to homeschool your kids, but you need to seek unity with your husband, not just wanting to do what you want to do. So when we look at the Trinity, also, there are going to be certain ingredients that blend together to comprise their perfectly harmonious and intimate relationship. My kids and I, we love to bake chocolate chip cookies. I have a recipe from a great aunt who has since passed away, and we make this same chocolate chip recipe every time we make them. And they're delicious, and they're super quick and easy to make. We like to make them ahead of time, and I put them inside of a, a baggie, and we freeze it, and I have them kind of pre-cut so we can break them apart and then just throw them in the oven when we're in the mood for cookies. And a key ingredient inside the chocolate chip cookies is salt. It's one of the smallest ingredients compared to, obviously, the chocolate chips or the flour, the sugar that you add to it. But if you didn't have that salt, a key ingredient, it wouldn't be the same chocolate chip cookie recipe. And, you know, salt is so interesting because salt, it's going to, like, enhance the flavor of what you're cooking. And although it is salty, it's actually going to bring out the sweetness of the cookie. Isn't that interesting? But as we see these ingredients that are put together, that is what we have when we look at the Trinity as well. Let's go ahead and look at a chart that we have for us in the book. It is a chart laying out characteristics of the Trinity and then characteristics of fallen man. 
So the characteristics of the Trinity, they're going to result in perfect harmony and intimacy. And they are one, tender, compassionate, and merciful. Two, open and transparent. Three, goodness towards the other, shown by glorifying the other. Four, love, sacrificial actions for the other. Five, perfect communication with each other. Six, honest and truthful commitment to a righteous standard. Seven, perfect knowledge and understanding of each other. Eight, reliable and faithful in their relationship. Nine, when working on a task, there is order, purpose, and voluntary subordination of the Son and Spirit to the Father. No power play over my rights. Now let's compare that to the characteristics of fallen man, which result in lack of harmony and intimacy. Here we have not gentle, unmerciful, and cruel, closed off, private, and self-protective, malice toward the other, shown in tearing the other down to build up self, self-seeking, actions for self, hurt each other by not communicating biblically, deceitful, lying, and committed to self, limited knowledge and revelation of each other, unreliable, unfaithful, and lacking in trust due to the conditional basis of their relationship. In parentheses, if you will, then I will. And likely to manipulate with anger, tears, threats to have own way, may desperately cling to my rights. Something that's sticking out to me the most in the characteristics of the Trinity was the last one, where it says, when they're working on a task, there is one order, two purpose, and three voluntary subordination. So again, we see God the Son and God the Spirit voluntarily submitting themselves to the Father, although they are equal and they are unified, there is order and it's purposeful order. And then characteristics that stick out to me, a fallen man is the word self, self-seeking, self-protective, committed to self. It's when we're thinking about ourselves and our own needs. Martha also writes here, the Trinity is a relationship in which three eternal persons, each being perfect in character and totally equal in being, power, and glory, reveal, know, and love each other tenderly and perfectly for the other's good within the context of an eternal commitment. When they decide to set and accomplish a goal for the purpose of order and economy, God the Son and God the Spirit voluntarily subordinate themselves to God the Father in order to function according to their perfect plans. As they work together, they are totally unified in desire, thought, and action until the goal's completion. Thus, they are a plurality within a unity. I really like that last sentence that she said there. They are a plurality within a unity. This is signifying like-mindedness. This is signifying teamwork and cooperation. Again, the three are one, yet they're individuals, but they're working together for the same purpose, to bring honor and glory to God, the triune God. And again, I mentioned this earlier, as we learn this pattern in our lives as women, in relationships with our husbands, 
this will only be done by the grace of God. This will not be done by our own work. And so it's going to take a great deal of humility. We see that Jesus humbled himself to the point of death. And so we're going to have to be people who seek to be humble in every way as we go about living these lives that God calls us to. So how do we do this? How do we live in the world attempting to carry out Christ-like relationships? And what is this actually going to look like? So again, we're going to do this by the inward work of the Holy Spirit. As we read God's word, God's word is living and active and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. God is going to illuminate his word in a way that it's going to come to life for us. We're going to see how we, as his children, can find joy in living lives in the way that he has designed us to. But we can't do this in our own strength. We must rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. So his word must be what we feast upon each day, and his spirit is who we must call upon. That is how we accomplish this. And what is this going to look like? So again, this is a call to deny ourselves. It is a call to stop asking the question, what will I get out of it? What will it do for me? How will this meet my desires? And rather, we need to be asking the question, how can this glorify God? How can we walk in a pleasing manner with God, enjoying him as we go? And so that's what we're going to look at now, how we can stop living for ourselves, stop destroying relationships, and how we can start living for Christ. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians 5.15 that reads, They who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Now, ladies, Martha wants to address that. Again, maybe you are a woman who's married to an unbeliever. This is someone who does not confess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They have not acknowledged that they are a sinner that falls short of the glory of God. And so they don't have that relationship with God like you do and that you've surrendered your will and you have embraced Jesus to be your righteousness. He took your place. And so maybe your husband's are not living godly lives because they cannot live godly lives. They do not possess the ability to do so apart from the Spirit of God. But maybe on the other hand, they are believers, but they're not willing to take God's word seriously enough to love you in a way that's pleasing to God. God calls them to love their wives as Christ has loved the church. Either way, you may be hearing this right now. You may be working through finding joy and submitting to your husbands. But if your husbands are not doing this, you can still honor the Lord by taking steps. And again, you must change your mindset from what can I get out of this to what can I give? We are called to be people who give our lives as a living sacrifice. I listened to a sermon about a year ago. I had the privilege of being in Peoria for my daughter's volleyball tournament. 
And there was a specific church that was shown on the American Gospel documentary that I love and will recommend to anyone who's willing to listen to me. And this specific church was on this documentary. And I told myself, if I'm ever in the Peoria area, I would love to stop in. And I did just that. It was a special Sunday. They were having a service to honor all of the missionaries that their church supported. Very, very moving as the missionaries that were present, that were able to have their names revealed. As we know, there are certain missionaries in certain parts of the world that we can't even disclose their names for the sake of them being murdered for the spread of the gospel. But those that were present, they paraded in during the singing of a song, carrying the flag of where they were currently doing mission. And it was just really, really beautiful to see that God's kingdom is not just being brought together with people from America. God's eternal kingdom is composed of believers from all over the face of the earth. From the last 6,000 years until this present day and will continue to grow as God calls people to him until his second return. And it was just a flood of emotions as that was brought to light to me. They also had a special speaker, a pastor from Briarwood Church that's located in Birmingham, Alabama. His name was Dr. Harry Reeder. And I've since learned that Harry has went to be with the Lord this last May. He was killed in a car wreck. But the sermon that he preached impacted me more than I realized. It's taken a whole year for me to really sit and ponder just how important the message was. Harry is known as a church planter and he focused heavily on missions. And I learned that a beautiful reality was the church he was at prior to the church that he was at for 24, 25 years in Birmingham, Alabama. He had been at this church that when he started the, the at that church, what was interesting was he was wanting to plant a church that was of the same denomination, but he didn't want to compete with the current church that was already there in this specific town. Well, the church learned of Harry's desire to do that, and they called him to be their pastor. And after prayerfully going to the Lord, he took on the role as the lead pastor of this congregation of 40 people. Now, Pastor Harry Reeder would grow this church through the grace of God and the work that the Holy Spirit was doing within him and the people that were present there to over 3,000 people. And this wasn't done in like 25 years span. This was done actually over a very quick amount of time. And then later on, Harry would go on to be the pastor down in Alabama, but he had a heart for missions. And the scripture that he presented on was from the book of Matthew. 
and it was on the Great Commission. And he talked about how most of the people that were sitting in the congregation that day, they've probably heard numerous sermons about the Great Commission, but this one specifically really struck me because as he was talking about the call for us as believers, as followers in Christ, disciples of Jesus, to take the gospel and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, a picture that he used was a bridge. He said, people are trying to get from one end of the bridge to the other. But the thing is, is that as those people get from one end to the other end of that bridge, they have to walk across. And as believers in Christ, the way that they do that is that they're going to walk on us. And so we have to be willing to deny ourselves, to deny our own desires and not ask the question, what can I get out of this? But rather, what can I give? This is going to apply with all of the relationships that we have on this side of eternity, whether it be with our relationship, with our husbands, with our children, with our parents, our siblings, the members of the body of Christ. We must stop asking, what am I going to get from this? And from the outside, it's going to look like you're getting walked on. And quite frankly, it's probably going to feel that way a good majority of the time. But I am sure as I reflect upon the lives of the apostles, as I look at the faithful men and and women inside of my local church body, as I get to know these people more individually and intimately, I see that they have eternal joy and peace through the work of Christ within them. And that as they lay down their lives for the sake of the gospel, no matter how it appears to the outside world, that inward peace and joy that's being built up inside of them, no one can take that from them. No one can take that from them. Martha goes on to say, hence you should expect no thanks or recognition. You are just doing your minimal duty to God. As we finish up chapter four of the Excellent Wife series today, I want to take a moment to read from the book titled This Momentary Marriage by John Piper. I have gotten through the first two chapters and there's a lot I could say. There's a lot I would like to share, but I will refrain. And I'm just going to read this small passage. So John writes, there never has been a generation whose general view of marriage is high enough. The chasm between the biblical vision of marriage and the common human vision is now, and has always been, gargantuan. Some cultures in history respect the importance and the permanence of marriage more than others. Some, like our own, have such low, casual, take-it-or-leave-it attitudes towards marriage as to make the biblical vision seem ludicrous to most people. That was the case in Jesus' day as well, but ours is worse. When Jesus gave a glimpse of the magnificent view of marriage that God willed for his people, the disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. Matthew 19.10 In other words, Christ's vision of the meaning of marriage was so enormously different from the disciples, they could not even imagine it to be a good thing. That such a vision could be good news was simply outside their categories. 
If that was the case then in the sober Jewish world in which they lived, how much more will the magnificence of marriage in the mind of God seem unintelligible in a modern Western culture where the main idol is self and its main doctrine is autonomy and its central act of worship is being entertained and its three main shrines are the television, the internet, and the cinema and its most sacred genuflection is the uninhabited act of sexual intercourse. Such a culture will find the glory of marriage in the mind of Jesus virtually incomprehensible. Jesus would probably say to us today, when he had finished opening the mystery for us, the same thing he said in his own day, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Matthew 19, 11 through 12. John is just reminding us that we can never have a high enough view of marriage. And in past times, in certain parts of the world, marriage may have been esteemed more highly. But specifically, when we look at marriage today in our culture, the American culture, marriage is not held to a high standard. When we look at the divorce rates, when we look at marriage rates, when we look at specifically marriage rates between a male and a female, which is the biblical requirements for it to be signified as a marriage. The numbers have never been lower than what they are right now. And again, the divorce rates continue to climb. What's happening? And I think it's a result of a godless nation seeking to do things its own way rather than submitting to the biblical call to view marriage from the lens that God calls us to. In addition to John Piper's book, I also utilized Live Your Truth and Other Lies by Eliza. And one of the things that she talks about in her book is a book that she read back in 2018 titled Girl, Wash Your Face. You've probably heard of this. Personally, I did not read this book, but I know during that time, so many women on my Facebook page we're talking about this book and how this is just such an amazing read. But what's interesting is that Eliza says, quoting Hollis, it says, The truth, you and only you, are ultimately responsible for who you become and how happy you are. That's the takeaway. In the introduction alone, she repeats this point several times. She writes, Understanding that you choose your own happiness, that you have control of your own life, is so important. And I want to shout at the top of my lungs until you know this one great truth. You are in control of your own life. Work hard, get up early, hustle hard, and dream big. In other words, you are your own boss. Ladies, have you been sold this lie? Have you believed this same truth? What's interesting about Rachel Hollis was that in 2021, Hollis was actually attacked by the internet because she made a comment about how she never intended to be relatable, that she's actually unrelatable to most women. She says, what is it about me that made you think I want to be relatable? No, sis, literally everything I do in my life is to live a life that most people can't relate to. She went on to boast that she works harder and wakes up earlier than most people. So I guess she has since tried to regain her following, to regain the people's trust. But here's the deal. What was quoted in her book, they're lies. They're lies that the world tries to get us women to believe. 
as Christians, if we believe that God is sovereign, that means that he controls all aspects of our lives, not in the sense that he causes us to sin, but in that he works all things together for our good. Only God alone can take our sinful hearts and intertwine, work within each of us as human beings, as his created world, and still not sin. This is hard for us to understand, but you do not control your own destiny. God does. Now, is it true that we're called to work hard with our hands to perhaps get up early and to maybe even have a dream for yourself about things that you want to accomplish? Yes, this is true. But at the heart, if our motives are not driven by the Great Commission, well, then everything that we're doing in our life is without a purpose. The other book that I had the privilege of reading, I've been reading it for the last several months. I'm reading through it slowly. It is titled, Building the Christian Family You Never Had, A Practical Guide for Pioneer Parents. And I'm about halfway through this book, and I have really enjoyed listening to this woman's perspective. She grew up in an abusive home and that she was sexually abused by a family member as a child and her parents were aware of this happening. And so there's had to be a lot of forgiveness and letting go of her past in order for her to move forward with her relationship with God, her creator. I've really appreciated her honesty as she talks throughout her book. One of the greatest things that I just recently read was the need for us to set boundaries. And as we talk about relationships, I will end with that for the week before we get into the workbooklet, that as Christians, yes, we're called to be the bridge that people are going to walk on. And we indeed are going to be walked on at times. At the same time, we have the right to set boundaries so that we are protecting ourselves and our family members. You may have remembered whenever I talked about not working outside the home and how it is a blessing to me because I am no longer under the authority of a specific doctor who I'm working for or a specific boss. Now, this is still true in that I still do go to work from time to time, but for the most part, I am under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ in all aspects of my life, but primarily I'm under the headship of my husband inside of the home, and this is my domain. But we still have to set boundaries so that we are protecting our families. Just because you are born into a specific family, just because you have a mother and father and siblings that you grew up with, this does not mean that you have to allow them access to your lives if they are abusive to you in any way. And even if they're not abusive, you still have the right to say what your family will do how you utilize your time, who you're allowing in through your doors. Yes, we're called to honor our mother and our father, but we are first called to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in some circumstances, you may be honoring your parents by shutting the door at times and setting those boundaries so that you can have a healthy relationship with your husband and your children and honor the Lord 
in the way that he calls you to. In lesson number four, the work booklet that goes along with the Excellent Wife book, A Wife's Understanding of Relationships, God's Pattern, I'm going to go through a few of these questions before we end our time here today. The first question is, what is the model of relationships that God intends for believers to follow? Again, what is the model of relationships that God intends for believers to follow? The answer is the Trinity, the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Remember, they are all God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But we see that they each have unique roles, that God the Son and God the Holy Spirit willingly submit themselves to the authority of God the Father, but yet they are one, united together, each of them serve a purpose, each of them are equal in power. The other question says, list the questions in the last paragraph that begins on page 30 that you must stop asking yourself and also those that you should start asking yourself. And obviously you don't have this chart right in front of you, but if you remember the questions that we have to stop asking ourselves are number one, what will it do for me? Number two, what will I get out of it? And number three, how will it meet my desires? Rather, we should be asking ourselves these questions. Number one, how can I glorify God? Number two, how can I walk in a pleasing manner with God, enjoying him as I go? According to 2 Corinthians 5.15, for whom are we no longer to live and for whom are we to live? So if you remember 2 Corinthians 5.15, Paul is making the declaration that it is no longer us who lives. This means that we are no longer to live for ourselves. Remember the characteristics of the Trinity versus the characteristics of fallen man. A key theme with fallen man is that we focus on self. We are self-centered. And so as we seek to follow the Lord and to live a life worthy of the calling that he has called us to, we are to no longer to live for ourselves, but we are to live for Christ. Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. As we finish our time on earth in the flesh, we are to live as Christ. Paul wished to depart and be with the Lord because he knew that that would be far better. He says to die is gain. However, ladies, God in his sovereignty has providentially determined how many days you will be here on this earth. So live them for Christ Jesus. I'm so glad that you all joined me today as we went through chapter four of The Excellent Wife. I do hope that you will take some time to really think about some of the key passages that we discussed this week. The main word we focused on was unity. What does it look like to have unity within the Trinity? And what does it look like for us to have unity within 
of our relationships that we have as we walk on the earth. Until next time, I hope that you have a blessed week and I'll talk to you soon.